0: After a one-week hiatus, rights to Ricky Sanchez returns. Mike Levin is so excited, he's wide awake. Hey. You do sound awake.
1: I almost am. I uh, I changed my ringtone from uh, The Beatles to uh, Sufjan Stevens. So when you called, it got me excited. (laughs) Which song? You're you're the first person. Uh, Come on, feel the L.A.
0: Isn't he the one that did the uh the album for each state? Wasn't that him? I think that was
1: him. Uh I don't know if he's a full each state, but there's they're definitely state state related albums.
0: Um, I think I have some uh have you checked the internet yet? Um today? There's some a little bit of sort of related breaking news. Um
1: oh, g- I saw the Sun stuff last night.
0: No, no, no. The uh the uh Mike Budenholzer stuff. Did you see that? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. How about that? it, t- it turns me. out and he was like I th- I seem to remember him being like sort of like first choice guy like obviously he was the Spurs first Spurs assistant that went but um in case uh in case you're listening to this and haven't heard uh, Mike Budenholzer got uh, arrested last night for um he got pulled over for having no tail lights according to the Atlanta Journal Constitution and then um, we got failed a field sobriety test and refused a breath test, which I think I I I heard some. I think someone told me once that regardless of whether or not you're drinking, you should take the breathalyzer test. Um, but he refused that and he got charged with DUI. So, man, so people are so stupid. <laughs> such, yeah, such I a mean, stupid it's
1: stupid that R.C. Buford uh, got a DUI like two years ago.
0: Like don't you um
1: maybe that's why San Antonio is so good cuz they're drunk all the time. <laughs> maybe that's what it was.
0: Like I just don't understand um first of all I don't, I I I don't understand anyone drunk driving ever. I mean it's it to me it's a, a pretty unacceptable offense. But when you're I me mean, he's got to be making like at least like 1.5 2 million something like something in that range he has to be making just dude call a cab i mean it, i i just i i don't especially the position it's not like his life is bad he's just you know he's worked his whole life to become a uh an nba head coach gets the gig and then just like you know and who knows how drunk he was and i don't know he hasn't been convicted of anything but still yeah. it's so stupid so, so I want
1: to, I want to make a mean Atlanta joke, but I don't I don't know if alcoholism is prevalent in Atlanta, so it would just come off as ignorant. <laughs> so I so I'll so just i just leave it at that. I don't know. That's all I got.
0: I wish I knew what the joke was. You want to? I mean, no.
1: It's more just like well, maybe that'll endear himself to the fans of Atlanta, but uh, I don't. I just don't know if that's a thing.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. I
1: just I it would just be me sounding ignorant, so I um, won't make that joke. Yeah. I definitely <laughs> won't make that joke. Definitely <laughs> not
0: gonna do that one. Um. All right, well, I mean, we did have a uh, a one week hiatus due to my uh w i p morning show duties and then then i got
1: I got such a good night's sleep that week, oh
0: man yeah, it's one of those things where um I imagine it's, it's almost similar to when I like doing my show on w i p but the weeks that I'm off i'm like oh i don't have to stay up until two thirty in the morning like there is that sense of relief, so I'm glad you got your your weeks, your extra night's sleep in last week, perhaps.
1: Yeah, I, per- I hate this right now. This is terrible.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Not too much has happened since we last spoke. I don't. F- what? Well, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, did did they had they hired? Well, they had they had announced they were hiring Brett Brown the last time we spoke, or they hadn't announced. I can't even remember. Yeah. No. We we
1: we got a, we got a Brett Brown announcement.
0: Before. Okay. Um, the
1: things that have happened since we since we've last talked to each other uh, over the phone, at least have been Tony Roden and a scintillating Earl Barron rumor.
0: Oh, I didn't even see the Earl Barron rumor. I must not have been up on that. Was that yesterday?
1: You must must not read Um, LibertyBallers.com.
0: I I try to as much as I can. Um, Where's the Uh, Earl Barron rumor come from?
1: uh, One of the next beat guys, uh, Jared Zwigler? Zwigler, I don't know. Uh, Jake... (laughs) Jake has a story on movie
0: Um Well, anytime about, you can get uh, a you know thirty-something-year-old uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> light light in the cakes. It, it's just a. It's more of just if this happens, and and you know, people can make up rumors rumors about the fixtures all they want. I don't. I don't think Al Baron is someone they're targeting. Um, <laughs> but it just serves to just bury Ar- Arnett Moultrie some more, which makes me smile.
0: Yeah, he stinks, doesn't he? Yeah, he's uh, Um well okay, so a quick thing about Brett Brown before we get on to Tony Roten and just sort of yeah. a general a general trend, I think, that Roten um uh is indicative of with the Sixers. But I did uh you know, there have been Brett Brown has been um uh unlike the unlike Sam Hankey, Brett Brown has been uh very available for media interviews and stories. Um, His, uh, his I don't think we had heard the opening press conference. I think we just had the, um, we had the, the report of last time. We did get to interview him on the morning show. Seems like a pretty genuine dude. Um, Seems like a good guy. Like, you know, you can only gather so much from uh, an interview, but um, he is a guy, I think to a certain extent, when you get a guy who has been an assistant and hasn't been interviewed all that much, uh, in his job, I think you do get guys are sort of less guarded. They're either super guarded or not guarded at all. You know, either they're they're really honest or um, they're really guarded. But he seems to be pretty honest, and he seems the one the one thing that I the one sense that I got, I guess the one takeaway is that he is under no illusions as to what is going on here. He seems very aware of Which how bad they'll be. Yeah, that's
1: that's like a prerequisite for the job. Like, you have to accept it. he put, think you made them, like, read it on the board, like, a hundred times. Like, the Sixers will really be bad, the Sixers will really be bad, the Sixers will really be bad. Like, Bart Simpson-esque. And, it, uh, and also because he, he's coming out from under the the shadow of Popovich. He wasn't allowed to talk then.
0: Yeah, and, so I think and, maybe that And as well, he, you know... He was even honest in the press conference. This is old news at this point, but when he said like he he needed the fourth year, it's rare that an oppressor, a coach is going to discuss contract terms and negotiations, which he did. You know, he was like, "Well, I needed the fourth year," which is one thing that I think. You know, if when we were talking about the the hold up, you know, between the Woj rumor and the actual Woj bomb that you know they had agreed to terms, I think a fourth year was something that um, was pretty commonly debated, you know, as to that's probably what he wanted. But he, you know, he gets it, at least in that respect. Now, um, as we've said before with fans, and I think it's the same with coaches, talking about losing that much and then actually losing that much are two different experiences. So, you know, his – I think it is important. I think it's it's an important thing for him. And I think um, it, it was written about a lot, you know, even when NBA teams hire – Coaches, when they know they're going to lose, it's rare that that coach actually survives because the reality of that losing um, and the idea of that losing are two different things. But the most important thing he'll he the most important job he'll have, aside from developing young players, which is uh, which is clearly w- what their number one mission is going to be, is keeping the attitude of himself and around the team being a positive one. You know sort of setting goals other than wins, you know setting goals like here is you know the goal is always to win that's always to yeah. win but but since they're not going to win an, an effective an effective manager sets sets goals for people that are reasonable you know are attainable um, are measurable and have sort of a date set on them, so you know a goal for him you know a goal for Michael Carter Williams. Wouldn't you know? So a, a bad goal is, I want you to get better at shooting. That's a bad goal yeah. because it's not specific. But a good goal would be like, hey, you know, in your first ten games, I want you to shoot forty-five percent. You know, or I want you to take seventy-five percent of your shots from from you know from inside the light or something like that. So his the way that that he'll have to keep these players focused is on goals aside from winning. Um, and when you have a lot of players who have won a lot of their careers, you know, whether it's in college or high school, you know, most players in the NBA were, uh, you know, were great high school players or at least good college players and used to winning games, keeping those guys focused on those things is a, a big job. And I think that is uh, that is a, an important task for him.
1: And he seems like he's the guy for it. Like, he has all these drills. He's got these, like, fun names for drills and practice for teams and... I don't know. I mean, you know, press conferences generally get everybody excited, but uh, he just seems like he gets it. He just seems like he gets it, and uh, I like the accent. <laughs> I like how I like how simple his name is. I think you either you either go like very. I'm, I'm a big I'm a big name guy, so you either go like very complicated or very awesome, like a David Vanntrup yeah. action, or you go like completely other side, and it's Brett brown, Brett brown. I think that's very important, personally. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, he just like I buy into it, and I don't think there, there's really no precedent for a coach to survive this type of rebuild, this massive of a rebuilding effort. But I think he's going to. I, I, I there's really there's no reason that I. I mean, I believe in the ownership. I believe they'll be patient. But there's no precedent of that happening, so I can't say with confidence that it will, but it just seems like Hinky and Brown are in this together. It seems like Hinky took his time to really find a guy that he can go to battle with, and he's got it, and everybody's aware of what's going to happen. So the hope is that you know ownership lets them fight this out together. And if ownership finally changes their mind in two years, and the Sixers are still winning 20 games, then you know we'll see how loyal to his coach he is. I mean, you saw with the Phillies, Ruben Amaro, kind of left Charlie out the dry. And I don't think that would happen with
0: Hinkie. Yeah, well and it's you know Ruben Omar didn't hire Charlie Manuel so it's not his guy. You know there's a a big difference between hiring your guy and not hiring your guy. You know that is a I think that's an important distinction. Um the expectations were were different of course. And mm-hmm. I do, I do think you mentioned a a uh, an important thing about precedent is that the the tide in almost every you know until Felix Hernandez won, the Cy Young, there was no precedent for a guy who had that few wins winning the Cy Young, you know, winning based on advanced statistics. Yeah. So we're at a time in sports where a lot of precedents are being set and a lot of traditions are being broken. And, um, you know, hiring a guy like Sam Hinky is not setting a precedent as there are guys like him around, but um, it is the beginning of sort of a new wave of, how you think about franchises. They also have the advantage. And I think we're sort of at an unprecedented time in the increase in value of NBA franchises, no matter what you do. I think the Warriors were just valued at $800 million, and they were bought for you know $400 million three years ago. Uh, the Kings just sold for $550 million. Um, so... Regardless of what the Sixers do with their franchise, regardless of how sex- successful they are, uh, Josh Harris will be owning a franchise that will be going up in value, whether they're profitable or not. Forget about yearly profit. Like buying the Sixers for two hundred forty million dollars, even with a-, a shit building deal, they're gonna double. You know, they're already valued at four eighteen. Within two years, they're gonna be valued at six hundred million dollars. So. One of the things that will allow him, I think, to be a little more patient, and I hope he is, and this is again we're all, we're just guessing, is that like he's making money no matter what he does. He, he might not have he might not have yearly profit, but even if they turn a five million dollar yearly profit next year, like that, that, who cares? That he doesn't care. That that pales in comparison. I'm sure he cares. He'd rather make five million dollars than lose five million dollars, but it pales in comparison to the increase in value of the franchise and sort of the bigger picture things that. That I think he's after. So there's no precedent for a, a coach surviving it, but there's a, I think there's a lot of precedents being set. A lo- another thing that he mentioned, that Brett Brown mentioned, that I thought was really important, and he mentioned it in his opening presser, and he mentioned it in it basically in his first sentence to us when we interviewed him on the morning show is how important health and nutrition is to him. And this yeah. is again, this is another um, nutrition is not a precedent, but when you look at Chip Kelly, sort of the, yeah. his his focus being on it. Um, and, uh, I think it's sort of the last part of, um, you know, players are getting stronger, players are getting bigger, players are getting faster, but the nutrition rest part of it, I think is like the last, um, thing to be added to that. And I think that's really important. And I think that's something that, um, that I think the Sixers have been missing, um, is a guy who concentrates on that sort of thing. And I know it sounds crazy, but most people don't know how to eat. You know, most people that they don't, even professional athletes, they're working out so much. I remember reading Terrell Owens' book, his autobiography. His first year in the league, he was so used to being poor that he ate McDonald's his first year in the league. Like every meal, Terrell Owens was eating McDonald's. Like they're working out so much that sometimes, even, you know, Iverson ate like hell. Sometimes they're just naturally sort of gifted and they work out so much they can sort of. At least when they look in the mirror, they can see a guy that looks like he's in shape but aren't performing at an optimal level because they don't understand the nutrition, the exercise thing. Um, And I thought that was an important thing too as well. And I think it's sort of telling the way – in his press conference, he didn't mention Evan Turner until he did his laundry list of players. And when we interviewed him, he didn't mention Evan Turner until like his laundry list of players. And that paired with the health and nutrition thing is just Uh like – I feel like the bus is going to leave Evan Turner at the hotel a bunch of times, <laughs> and like they won't have his it's, jersey ready at the it's first day home of Frank, alone and, Evan Yeah. And, you know, Evan will be uh, happy because he'll have a cheese pizza all for himself, um, much like <laughs> McCauley Culkin did. You know, I, I, I think that stuff with the nutrition and the, the health thing is a very important thing, too. It's another thing where you can set goals, you know, um, mm-hmm. where you can get better without actually winning games.
1: Yeah, the only the only guy I can think of uh, lately with the Sixers that you could clearly tell was nutrition based was Andre. Yeah, he was. I mean, he had his own chef. He was all about eating healthy and keeping his body intact, and I think that's why he's going to age well as a player still because he's he takes care of himself so well. But uh, but yeah, I I think that's really important. Uh, it's exciting that that it's exciting that people are giving a shit about everything because these players aren't just, it's not just about what you do on the court. It's about everything else. And even more I, even more important than, like, getting stronger and just, you know, putting more weight on. Like, you have to stay in shape and you have to be able to run, especially in, hopefully, the offense that we're running. There will be a lot of pushing the tempo because that's the kind of the talent we have. Um, and if these guys are in shape, that'll help, uh, you know, Make for a more exciting team, at least, and not just sitting in half-court sets and throwing the ball at the rim. Literally throwing the ball at the rim, because you can't shoot it. Nobody can shoot it. Um, uh, before uh, before we go on to Terry Yes. talk about Miley Cyrus. Go
0: ahead. <laughs> can I just say, first of all, yeah. that like, Miley... I did never. I knew who she was. Like I knew who Hannah Montana wa- Montana was because my little sister liked her. But I don't think I ever saw it on TV or even like. I know it sounds crazy, but I probably hadn't seen her more than three times up until recently. Like I never saw her as a kid. I I just I don't know how I missed that. But I just um, maybe because I maybe because I I don't live with my little sister. You know, like I don't see it around. So um, so. You have to my opinion of Miley Cyrus is separated from the Hannah Montana stuff. I never saw her as a little kid, so this is not disturbing to me on any level because um she was a child star, like I don't see any of that. I think Miley Cyrus is is really attractive and like I thought the VMA thing at worst was was funny. Um I do not understand. Like I really don't understand how people get shocked at the sexualization of the VMAs. Like every year, there is some kind of ridiculous sexual moment on the VMAs. Most of them are like I. I thought the whole Miley Cyrus discussion was funny when people were like, you know, Madonna had some sort of art to it. Like Madonna made out with Britney Spears to like get headlines. Like, what are we talking about? Like, what is she? What is she doing that is? And I think this whole thing—I couldn't believe. I watched the VMAs. I was—I watched the VMAs without the computer. I was with my brother. Like I—I I didn't look at Twitter. I didn't see Twitter. And I didn't know the Miley Cyrus thing was a big thing until the next day. And I saw it, and I was like, "Wait a minute! What do are, people are, are being crazy about this?" Like. It was silly. I I don't, and it's making me like her more because everybody is overreacting to it. I don't think she's like when I think of Miley Cyrus, I do not think of Amanda Bynes or Lindsay Lohan. She doesn't look like she's out of control to me. She just looks like she's like being silly and having fun. I don't know. She doesn't seem like a drug addict to me. She just seems like she's ridiculous. And the other thing is like I've heard a bunch of people uh, call her performance like racist. I think when you open the door to calling what she did racist, you're opening the door to calling like a lot of things racist. Like the.
1: Who's, I didn't hear anybody. Oh, that.
0: Google it. It's like, it's all over the place. Just that. I don't want it, to. It's crazy. It's just like it. It's. I, I don't know. I like, I, I think that the, the, the idea was, is that because she is doing what is like, because the, twerking thing is part of black culture and because she had black backup dancers that she is identifying black culture as something that is like risque and like forbidden and by doing that she is being racist and all i can think is like okay well welcome to every white kid in suburbia that ever listened to rap music like or listened to heavy metal or is doing something because they feel like it is, you know, like something that they shouldn't be doing. Like the minute that you start saying that, that's inherently racist. is, But I love Miley Cyrus and I love that new song. Like I love that song that she did. And I swear, when Miley Cyrus comes to Philadelphia, I'm buying a ticket.
1: <laughs> that is a bold claim. I am. And I respect it.
0: Yeah. Um, I just
1: don't. I just. I just don't have. I've never watched the VMAs. I just care so little about it. That when people get worked up over things that I'm just okay. Well, yeah, that's a. I guess that's a bummer. Yeah, I just, it, just, it just doesn't matter to me. Like it's a girl, who I've never really watched in anything, uh, who now wears less clothes and can move her ass pretty nicely.
0: Yeah, actually. yeah. What's the big deal? What's the big deal?
1: I, like, I was for the for the first for for the sake of the word, I was very impressed
0: with her twerking. <laughs> uh, And uh, like the other thing is like I love all all stuff because they added twerking to like the Merriam-Webster dictionary and they're like, where has our country come to? what, when we add a word to the dictionary because people use it? Like, that's... I don't know. That's where our countries come to. I thought I thought that's how words got added to the dictionary when everybody <laughs> uses them all the time. Like, you know, I don't know. It didn't, didn't seem like that big a deal to me. um yeah, the VMAs are... I don't, I don't think I've... The last time I watched the VMAs is when Brit, I was living in Chicago. It was probably like seven years ago and Britney Spears made her come back and looked horrible. And I think that was the last time I saw it. Um, my brother, I just watched it with his girlfriend. And I was... I thought there was going to be like an Eminem performance too, and I wanted to see the In Sync thing. So that's why I had it on. But like, it was funny because I was sitting there and I was watching the Miley Cyrus thing, thinking my own thoughts with my brother, his girlfriend, um, and his girlfriend's roommate. And the two girls were like, oh my God, we hate her. She sucks, blah, 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 blah. And I was just keeping my feelings inside. And as soon as we got in the car, I told my brother, I was like, I was like, I don't know. I I think Miley Cyrus is awesome. <laughs> so, um, Tony
1: wrote. I I, I oh. think. Wait one second. I think yeah. people like to lament, the downfall of civilization. Especially yeah. on Twitter, people are like, "Well, this is this is how it ends." And it's just like, if enough people are doing that, then it becomes a thing. And yeah, I don't know. My Cyrus, do what you got to do, girl.
0: Yeah, she's got 13 million Twitter followers. She's doing fine. Um, I think she's she's probably the and at the end of the day, like that thing was good for her career. Like as many people trashed her, you know. When you're when you're a pop star, it's you have to do some pretty awful stuff to have publicity yeah. that doesn't end up working well for you, you know. I mean,
1: all all of these people are fucked up. There's nothing. There's no hope for any of them. So just let her do what she does. Yeah, that's my thing.
0: Um. All right, Tony Rotten. Tony Roten. Well, um. So he's a a gunner who can't shoot. Um. Uh, is a uh, but um and you you probably know more about Tony Roten than I do but I think I'm sure you do actually but I I think it's just what I think um when you think about Hinkie and sort of his um you know his uh his what they're doing this year and the philosophy is that my guess is is that his thought is like look if we take enough chances on first our, in a year that we're going to lose anyway why not fill the roster with guys that at one time showed promise to somebody recently, you know, not like 10 years ago, but recently. In the last few years, we're first-round picks, have some sort of skill that is good. And if we take enough chances on these guys, if if we get five or six of these guys and one of them works out, then that's a win because we're not tied to any of them. So Tony Roten just seems like another in the line of, well, you know, somebody said to me on Twitter, you know, if Tony Roten can figure out how to shoot. And I was like, well, you know, that is sort of a big thing. Um, It it is like that is something that you can sort of apply to almost every player in the NBA that hasn't been a success yet. You know, if you say, well, if he can shoot, um, it is sort of a big thing. But, you know... I I don't know. My thought on Roten is like the thought on every one of these guys they've gotten, you know, is like, yeah, you know what, take a shot. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know
1: Absolutely. I, I think I think he can be uh like a Tyree evans like player. That's 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 I think the upside for Tony Roten. Um It's there's just there's just no nothing wrong with what they're doing. It's exactly what you should be doing. It's lottery tickets, it's Low risk, high reward. Uh, You look at how, uh, you know, the Phillies drafted. Basically, Uh, you know, you draft for you draft athletes, and you hope they put things together. So you're going to get your Kyra Hudsons, you're going to get your Gauntlet Eldemires, but then you're going to get Don Brown. And so, you know, for for very very low cost, the Sixers just got a guy who is younger than their lottery pick this year in Michael Carter Williams, uh, and who is generally thought of as, as basically an equal-level talent. So for for literally nothing, the Sixers got another Michael Carter Williams. I don't think they're not the same player by any means, but for intents and purposes, their upside is, is kind of similar. Um, and that's awesome. They got him for nothing, a a top-50 protected second-round pick, which means we're not giving up that second-round pick. So it's... It's it's remarkable just the the ease with which Hinky makes the smart move, whereas GMs in the past have just been unable to make the move where it's like, oh, yeah, sure, just do that. It's it's always been like, oh, well, it'd be complicated. Like the, the Fixers traded Willie Green and Jason Smith for Craig Brackens and Royal Ivy. Like, that was a trade that the Fixers made. And it's just like, okay, well, what does that do? But and I, I remember loving that trade, by the way, but – <laughs> just for the simple fact that it was. This is the simple fact that it was like something different and something that they hadn't done before. But even still, it's like, oh god, the Sixers right now are just making. It's just so easy when you have a philosophy and a basketball ideology. It's so easy to follow that and and make the right player personnel transactions. So I mean it, it, this is all uh, periphery stuff. none of these moves I think he's making are going to greatly alter the franchise or alter the win total for this year, but these are the moves you have to make when you're not filled with a superstar yet, so you sort of make you sort of make those on the edges movies sort of fluff some things and see see what comes out but it's I, I admire him for just simply sticking true to what he wants, and that's that's what that's what you want in a GM. That's what you want in a front office: a, a, a team with a plan, and they and they execute that plan. There's no deviation from like, oh well, you know, Drew Gooden's around, so let's just sign him to three fifteen and see what happens. It's like, no, that's not what they're going to do. So, I mean, this is awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. I don't I don't I don't love Tony Rod by any means. I think he eventually profile as a a very, very, very poor man, James Harden. Uh, except Harden came out and was always able to shoot. But uh, he's super athletic, and he's left-handed, and he can get to the basket. Um, if he can harness some of that potential, then, and this is a great move for a guy that you know could eventually start. But I feel like if if he's if he's your you know sixth or seventh man in a year or two, then then you're in good shape if he if he. Realize some of this
0: potential. Big ups to the Sixers for still not acquiring what is no, a free agent. A free agent. No, no still do not have a shooting guard. Still do not have a backup point guard. Like, just it's delightful. It is. It uh, and Jason Richardson. As yeah, I thought uh, months ago, I had heard whispers of this. Like, probably not going to play this year, which is wonderful. Um, you know, just amazing that they. You look at their. Um, like Thaddeus Young is the only legitimate starting player they have that is starting. Like that's yeah. it. I, Evan Turner is not a winning starting player, I don't think. Uh, you know Carter Williams isn't. Whoever's going to play at shooting guard? Like I, I just, <laughs> you might have to start Spencer at the two, and start Kwame do at the five. Yeah. Um, are they are they going to buy Kwame out soon? Is that something? That I no, I don't I think that's going to happen. I, I I actually don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think that they would rather have him sit on the bench, and if they need the salary to move in some sort of trade deadline deal, um, that it's there. I, I don't think I don't think they believe that um, that cutting him does them any good. That he's not he's not a, a great guy to have around, but I don't think they that anyone thinks of him as harmful. And you can actually just you know keep him in a suit. If you want to, I mean, you know, you, you know what I mean? Like you don't, yeah. he'll agree to fake injuries. He doesn't care. Um, so, really yeah. So I don't think they're going to buy him out. Actually. Um, I don't know where that, I remember that, that getting floated out there, but I don't know where, it where it came from. And I, I, it doesn't seem likely to me. It just doesn't seem like, honestly, like what's worse than spending $3 million on Kwame Brown is spending $3 million on absolutely nothing. Now it's close, it is close, but it's very close. But if you're looking at like some sort of value proposition, then then you know then the choice. If you're saying the choice there is looking easy, you know, unless he is a unless you feel like he is a bad guy to have around, you know, unless that is which, a, he, may which, which he, he may be, which he could be, but I think it's more that he just doesn't care. I don't think he's influential and is not caringness. He just doesn't care. So. Sure. Um, so I don't think so. Um
1: That's really great when you're making millions of dollars. Just don't just don't care. Do me a favor, call
0: me, and yes. you know,
1: have a have a fifteen year career and just try not to give a shit for its entirety. Yeah. There you go. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming.
0: Um his uh so let me present you with this sort of um thing that I was thinking about with uh with Hinky and Roster construction and all that sort Please of thing. Do. And I was thinking about I was thinking about this NBA off season. And I was thinking about when I read Moneyball and the, the tenant of Moneyball, right? Um, and the tenant of Moneyball being um, value, finding value. So what Billy Bean and his trusty statistical assistant did was found things in the league, not that were um, more valuable than other things, but weren't being as valued. So they could get right. good things at a low cost and build a roster that way. So what has happened with the NBA in the last couple of years as the um, analytic uh, advancement has come is that three-pointers have become more important and those guys that shoot three-pointers well have become more valuable, um, getting contracts that are perhaps more valuable than would have been um, in the past. So much so, I would argue, that, um, that signing those shooters to the contracts that they are currently being offered um, or, or needing, or the contract that the Sixers would have to offer to get them to come here over somewhere else um, mm-hmm. is no longer a value proposition, and that he may be looking for, you know, uh, guys like even though Andrea Iguodala got a, a big deal, it seems like when you look at like Tony Allen's contract or guys that are that are that are looked at as defensive players or guys that are looked at as you know, is he maybe looking at um, at least partially constructing this roster, or is that maybe something to think about? That the reason that he doesn't want to go out and get shooters is that they are they are bad value right now. Even though having shooters is a great way to win games, there may be a a, a way to win games in the future that um, that is better value. Um, so
1: you're you're saying like he's getting he's already trying to get the next thing. Yeah, like he's he's trying to say it. I think so, um I think also it boils down to uh, he just doesn't think that people would come here, so the money that they he just doesn't want to throw money at people randomly um so they haven't yeah, they also haven't given anybody you know big money or value um you know i I don't think that he would have gotten Tony Roden if he'd cost. A bunch more money, um, but yeah, I, I think that in the draft, uh, that's what he's going to target, and I, I don't, I don't think he's going beyond. Uh, I don't think he's going to ever recognize like, okay, now that we've reached a certain point in NBA in basketball understanding, shooting doesn't matter anymore, or shooting doesn't matter as much as we thought it did. I think he, I think judging by what happened in Houston, he recognizes that, um, but right now. The it just happens that the guys that he's acquiring aren't good shooters, and that's why they're undervalued. Right. Um, but I, I I agree with your premise in that he's not going to overpay for his tenants. He's not going to overpay ever. Um, I think that's that's sort of uh, integral to, to to team success, and I think that's something he believes in. Is you can't, you're operating under a tight budget and you can't waste a dollar. Otherwise, you won't be able to spend it on something else that matters. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, I think I it's a great point and it's something to keep an eye on um, because, because analytics are becoming so prevalent in the NBA, um, more so than any other sport, I think, Um
0: Uh, I don't. I don't know if it's more so. Well, I mean, it's um, it's different than baseball. I, I think um, I think the I think it's probably um, still ahead in baseball. would be my guess, but um, but basketball is is rising more than any other sport. Like I feel like it's advancing more quickly than any other sport. Um, and all, all the camera stuff is certainly um, is necessary in basketball, but is way bigger. Um, is way more advanced there than in baseball, I think. So
1: I, I don't. I think in terms of public knowledge and public opinion, then I would agree baseball. But judging by the way that uh, that franchises,
0: facts, right? I feel like it's better. Um. Well, I mean, uh, that's really all I have for this week. I mean, it's Well, a, wait, I want to I uh, talk about... There we go. I, I, I okay,
1: you know, go. I can do this host thing also, Spike. <laughs> you can be the guy. Sure. Uh, people keep talking about the salary floor. They have the Sixers, oh, well, in their quest to, you know, hit the minimum salary requirements, and they did, took on Tony Roden. And it's getting thrown around... Like, it's a thing and not even thought. And it just doesn't matter. People, I'm trying to tell as many people as possible and just getting exasperated about it. So nobody that's listening to this podcast doesn't know. But I still have to say it anyway. It doesn't matter. The salary floor doesn't matter. The Sixers will meet it or they won't. And at the end of the season, if they don't, the difference between their salary that they have and the salary cap floor will be distributed among the players in the roster. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The fact that they're under the salary cap now and even entering the season means that they can take on more salary at the deadline, which is ideal if they're going to try to get value and, and picks and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it doesn't matter. They'll meet. They'll reason they won't. Stop talking about
0: it. Yeah, I've I've had uh, that is very. It's a a good thing you mentioned that I had. Uh, I I still have people asking me, um, you know, what are they going to do to hit the salary cap floor? And I I've said the same thing. It doesn't matter. Why? Do, there's no penalty. There's literally there's no penalty. They, the, the only penalty is that you have to pay that money. To, you know. You know. Now. Does it bother you maybe deep down that you might have to give Kwame Brown, Spencer Hawes, or Evan Turner an extra $800,000? Well, I could see how that might bother you, like, morally, sure. <laughs> you know, at the end of the year having to give those guys a bonus. But that's all. It does, yeah, it doesn't matter. And the, honestly, the um, what you mentioned about keeping your options open. And, that's
1: the most important thing. They're yeah. not doing it because they are afraid of paying more people. They're doing it so they can be flexible as hell.
0: Um well, and the other thing i actually, I wanted to ask you, um because you had mentioned the last time we did this that you felt something coming, maybe not a huge move, but at least like something significant are you um are you off that ledge yet or are you still there?
1: Wait to so the Chris duhan rumor. <laughs> and the Earl Barron rumor no, they don't And the no. Tony Roden trade that didn't that didn't qualify. For
0: no, you? no, not, and not a trade doesn't count until you trade something for something. Like because, the, calling calling the Tony Roden trade a trade is uh, is a pretty generous thing. The,
1: the Tony Roden re gift is more like what it is. Yeah. Until. Um. No, I still think something's happening. I still think something's ha- something's going to happen before the season, uh, and. Um, they're operating at their own timeline. <laughs> the free agency doesn't start for them July 1st. It starts September 1st. Uh, so we'll see. I don't know who's still available. I was kind of, I was kind of skimming through. Uh, Anton Jamison is gone, which is an uh, important test. But um, I don't know who they're going to sign, but they're going to sign somebody. Maybe from. Maybe they'll go overseas and and just grab somebody. I wouldn't be surprised Maybe Brett Brown has a guy in Australia that he really likes and who's available. I don't know I don't know. But I think something I think something's gonna happen. <laughs> even though even though the Sixers are close, I believe have sixteen or seventeen players right now. Um, not all of them are, are guaranteed contracts like Tim Olbrecht and Arslan Kazemi. Um, James Anderson. These guys aren't guaranteed, so you know they could move to Royce White. They could move to the D League. So it's not like they have to get rid of them. But um, it's not like the Sixers are going to have a tough time fielding a team next year. They're they're essentially maxed out unless they keep moving guys to the to the Delaware 87ers. Do we know when they start? By the way, are you? Are you, I haven't checked
0: the 87ers. No. Yeah. No, I haven't. I've been. I've been, uh, as the Sixers have gotten worse and worse over the last, you know, since the, I think the minute they traded Drew Holiday um, and just started acquiring guys that I, I, I will put their acquisitions are all guys that I sort of heard of. Like that is where, as soon as, soon as they started acquiring young guys that I'd sort of heard of before um, and traded Drew Holiday and the Sixers essentially became the 87ers, the 87ers have become less. Like I was excited about it at one point, but that was when I really hated the Sixers, you know. Yeah. when they like when I when I was when I needed a mental escape from Doug Collins' land, the like the idea of the 87ers was exciting. I was like, "Oh, a bunch of young guys, and they're going to suck and it'll be great." But now that's the Sixers. So, I'm mm-hmm. I'm um, um, we've got our own development league team like in the Wells Fargo Center. So, I you know, I've become a little less interested in the 87ers, but
1: I'm really excited. I can't wait. Well, when, when I when I'm coming back, I'll be back uh, in December for maybe a week or a little over a week, and I'm we'll definitely, obviously, go to a Sixers game. But I really want to make it down to Delaware. Yeah,
0: maybe, yeah. big weekend. See how huge. many huge weekend. See how many total in the two nights of watching the 87ers and the Sixers. See how many legitimate NBA players we we see that are on the Philadelphia and Delaware teams. Like is that number over or under five and a half? That's a. It's the dream. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's the dream, man. This is great. And people, people, you know, uh, Phoenix just made a move yesterday, uh, essentially uh, gifting Karan Butler uh, a, a, a relatively close contending team. I mean, the Bucks aren't contending, but a more competitive team than than the Suns. Uh, for essentially nothing and just the cap space. And now they get to wave Michael Beasley soon also. Um, so so. But aside from the Suns and the Sixers, I think people are really overblowing this idea of everyone's tanking. I don't think any other team, aside from the Suns and Sixers, are... I mean, they're rebuilding, so they're opening themselves up to the idea of losing games, which isn't tanking. But in terms of shorthand, that's what it is. Um, so right now... I think people are overblowing that idea. Uh, it's just the Sixers and son. Um But once the season starts and teams start realizing, well, you know, we're 6-17 and 17 or we're really struggling right now, then they start trading away their pieces, and then tanking will become a thing this year because the draft will start looking mighty appealing as Andrew Wiggins is putting up, you know, 25 at Kansas. Um but this, so so then it'll be a thing. But I, I don't think it is right now. So uh, that is something I wanted to point out as this race between Phoenix and Philadelphia for who can be worse. <laughs> continues on. And it's us, by the way. It's a
0: lot. Oh, it's the Sixers, much, blood, Sixers are far. much. Worse. Fewer, yeah. fewer legitimate NBA players on the Sixers than on the Suns. I like, by, it, like double. Yeah, it's not even close. Yeah, I I mean I, honestly, and I think Eric Bledsoe got way overrated the last you know year, year and a half or so. But honestly, like, like okay, there's like with just Bledsoe, there's they match our number of real NBA players on the roster,
1: like yeah, right got, there. Yeah, and you still have Gortat, and the Morris twins are like you know serviceable eighth men. Yeah, and uh, Goran Dragic and. You,
0: you know Sam, Sam I, Brown, I like I, I watched a little of uh, Phoenix's summer league team and I, uh, I watched a lot of them. Yeah, the Morris Twins look good. I thought they, um, did. they they look like like and I hadn't watched a ton of them before, but the uh, those are guys that looked like they worked on jump shots and three yeah. point range. Like they they were sort of impressive.
1: Absolutely, they're they're no uh, Joey and Stephen Graham. <laughs> you, do you even know Joey and Stephen Graham? No. You? Come on, Spike.
0: <laughs> Joey Graham? No. Oklahoma State Twins? No. One played for Toronto for a while. No. You got to go back to. Oh, you got to do Obannon references. That'll work better. Ed and, right. Ed and Charles Obannon.
1: Ed and Charles Obannon. Okay, I can yeah. deal with that. That was like my. That was like my infancy of basketball watching.
0: Yeah, I was in Ed college. O'Bannon. I was in college. So okay. There you All go. Right. All right. Um, well, it's been real, and it's good to have the podcast back. Thanks for. Yeah, up, I, I
1: got to say, big hole in my life. Gotcha. <laughs> Alright, goodbye.
0: <laughs> like I said, your head, son, don't take a Check it out now? Come on while